Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I have a spirit of gratitude for what God has done. When I take what God's given to me and I give, it's because for that moment, I'm looking back and I'm saying, God, I want to thank you for giving me the ability, physical and mental ability, to learn a life skill. I want to thank you, God, for giving me a job. I want to thank you, God, for giving me perhaps some generous relatives who've given some inheritances to me. I want to thank you for those who've come alongside me in some measure that provided me the resources to have money. Lord, thank you for that. I want to thank you for all the ways that you have saved me from wasting my money, that I have this money. So, Lord, I look back to you and I'm saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. So when I give, it's another way to say thank you. And it's the same way with you and me. When someone does something nice for us, don't we usually want to do something nice back for them? And the more things they do for you, we generally do more back to them. Well, we'll never be able to pay God back for all that he's given to us. All we can do now is to live a thank you life back to him for what he's done. And that thank you life includes once he's given us the job, given us this teaching so that we now have better uh, resources and income, now we can say, Lord, I want to give this back to you. So it's a sign of our gratitude when we give, which the converse of that is when we don't give after we have a job and he's blessed us and he's given us all of this stuff and we are so stingy, we tip God occasionally or not at all or we kind of convolute our mind thinking, well, I'm doing good deeds because I let someone get in front of me during traffic and that's enough. That's nowhere near enough. So the real test of our gratitude often is giving back. Remember, he gave to us, we give back to him. Number two is, it's also a sign in the present. It's a statement of priority in the very present. It's really saying, God, you've made all these wonderful gifts that you've given to me, and I want to thank you for that. And so right off the top, I'm going to give to you first. You get the first fruits. You gave to me the best. I'm giving you the best back. So you get the first part of my day in my quiet time with God. You get first place in my family. I want you to bless my family. You get first place. And I'm going to live a godly life in front of my family. And I'm going to shepherd my family according to biblical principles. I'm going to get involved in helping other people. And what better place than around the people we love and we know here at church. And so we're going to give them first place on Sunday. This is where we're going to be every Sunday. First Sunday. First time of the day. Give them our best. For he's given us the very best. He didn't give us a broken human being God. He gave us himself a perfect sacrifice for us on the cross. So it shows priority. He's number one. But number three, it also shows to the future. So the gratitude of the past is what he has done. The gratitude in the future is to say, Lord, right now, look what you've done. You're a priority in my life and it's going to show in my giving. And then finally to the future. It also shows my faith in you for the future. And this is what gets so exciting. This is really the test to see how spiritually mature we are and how we deal with our money and why our money is tied to spiritual maturity. When we give to him first, for some of us, it can be a real stretch as we begin because we've already now maxed out our income and we have too much that we have to pay back. And now you're hearing, uh-oh, uh-oh, you need to give a sizable, generous portion to God first before you give the others. So there's absolutely no way I can do that. Well, now that's where your faith steps in. You talk about faith as a Christian. You talk about how great God is. We worship him. We clap. We think this is all great. Well, now put God to the test and he'll pass it every time. When your heart is right and you say, Lord, I believe that it is right to give to you first. You said in scripture, of all the increase, you get first. 
I'm believing now that you will give that back to me. And based on other verses that we don't even have time to share with you, he'll give you back more than what you've given to him. So God, I'm going to give to you. So I believe that you are a God who will take care of all of my needs. I'm not going to worry. The lilies and the flowers don't worry. The birds don't worry. I'm not going to worry because I'm content in your promise. I believe that you said a child of God would never have to be a beggar. So I'm going to give to you because I believe in you. I also believe in the future. That I'm going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ as a believer. And you said that nothing pleases you other than faith. And I trusted you to take care of me. So I've given a first portion of my increase to you, God. And I know now that I'm going to have a reward in heaven because I did it. Took care of the basic needs of my family. I saved. I took care of those that were poor and needy. I took care of them. But I also in faith believed in building the kingdom of God. And God says, if you do that, it'll happen every time. So when are you supposed to do that? Well, there are many verses in the Bible, but probably if you put them through a paraphrased version, the Living Bible says it this way. He says, on every Lord's Day, that Sunday, you should put aside something from what you've earned during the week and use it for the offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you earn. Now, that's a paraphrased version, but it's still a good paraphrase of what Scripture says. So as God gives to you, you give back to him. Now, when Carol and I first got married, there was a couple of vows that we said to each other. Now, we all say the same vows, for better, for worse, richer and poor, sickness and in health. You know, you go through all of that. Most of us have said those kinds of vows. But when we got alone together, we had to make some commitments as a couple. Oh, we've had some challenges, and we sure sometimes will growl at each other over finances. All that is indicating is where we are weak spiritually. So when we growl, we even use that as a stepping stone to another victory, getting back right with God, rather than a stumbling block to a defeat and giving up on God. And so let's go back to that. So one of the early things that we said is, we said, we're going into ministry. God's called us to do that. We know we will never get rich in ministry because we're going to do ministry the biblical way and we're not going to fleece the flock of God. And we know that no matter what happens, God is going to get first. If he's going to get our life to go into ministry, then he ought to get our finances first as well. So why would I give my life to the Lord first and then I'm going to cheat God on my giving? I can't do that. It's, it's, it's hypocrisy. So we said to each other that no matter what, no matter what we go through, God's going to get his due first. And we're going to do it cheerfully. We're going to do it consistently. We're going to do it generously. And often we're going to do it sacrificially. But we're going to do it for the Lord. Now, I would love to tell you that we were always breezy easy, but we had struggles. There was a time, a couple times, I was without a job. There were times that we were driving a bucket of bolts. Well, actually, we parked the bucket of bolts because we couldn't even drive it. There were times that we had lived in an apartment that was so small that we paid $90 a month that you could go into the bathroom, you can take a shower, shave, and do the rest of the stuff without ever having to take a step, so to speak. It was that small. There were times that we went through some horrific health issues. So I'm going to tell you that we were hit with stuff. Now, we're not, that, that doesn't make us, you know, we got bigger scars than you've got. No, we just got scars like you got. That's all. But we made the commitment that God would get his money first. And we are here today to tell you that God has blessed us. Our cars are paid for. They're not fancy race cars. They're not high dollar cars. And if you have that, that's great. Our house is not paid for, but it will be paid for. I believe with all my heart. We have no credit cards. We don't have a lot of fancy stuff. Most of the clothes I got, we got at the flea market and garage sales, 99 cent stores, Sally's, Salvation Army, Goodwill. And I think I have a couple things that we found in a bag on the side of the road. And I hope it wasn't in front of your house because I may be wearing your husband's clothes. But we all have that kind of stuff. 
But God has never left us. We still have enough food. We have enough to give. We have enough to get what God wants us to get done. And God promises that. So I would encourage you to do that. When I think of Jesus Christ and the struggles that you and I might have, some of you are hearing me, maybe not so much here in church because you know my love. The ones that are listening on the radio don't know me well enough, but some of you are yelling at me right now and you're saying, but you don't know. I want to give, but all of a sudden I'm hit with something and I can't do that right now. You don't know the struggle it is. I've got so much debt that I've got to take care of. It, the temptation is to take care of that first and give to God when I finally can get it together. I promise you will never get it together totally to give until you start giving first. Then you'll get it together. And so that's where you want to do this. Now when I think of Jesus on the cross, Jesus could have given a whole lot of excuses. I don't want to go to the cross. They're putting me up there. I don't deserve to do that. So look how they're treating me over here. I don't want to. He, didn't, he, had, he had every best excuse not to do what he did for us on the cross. He didn't take any of those. He stood up there disciplined because he had number one thing in mind. I'm glorifying my Father by paying for these sins of the people that I love. And so when I look at what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross, there is no sacrifice, there is no excuse that will ever be acceptable to God the Father of why I can't give back to Him. They might sound reasonable in a natural man's mind, but in the reality of it all, He can have anything He wants. And yet, Malia, never going to be enough because He's done so much for us. And so we keep on doing it because we love Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. John D. Rockefeller, in one time, had a whole lot of money. And they said, how do you handle your money? He said, it's real simple. He said, I make 100%. I save 10%. I give 10%. And I live off the rest. Now, I know he wasn't a Christian. Not likely. I don't hold the land's book of life for him, but I doubt it. But here's what I'd like to share with you. I don't know a percentage amount. There's a lot of churches that will try to say it's 10% and all, and maybe that'll be another Sunday for you to go over what's the percent. But I don't think it would be unbiblical to at least use some target out there so it's not a nebulous thing out there. So maybe we'll just use 10% for a moment. Let's just say that. If you don't have 10% to give, then you don't have 10% to save. Because how difficult is it to be to stand before the Lord to say, Lord, I saved in my 401. I saved in my investment. I put some money away for me. If we don't give as much back to God that we're keeping for ourselves, for our own personal pleasure saving. Now, this is Ponzism, I know. I just like to, 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 to think, for me, I, I got to save for retirement. That is important for all of us. I want to save for my kids to make sure they have certain needs to be met. I got to pay my existing bills. I have to live off the basic needs of life. But Lord, is there something out of balance here where I can at least give you just 10 little percent, just a little 10 percent back to you? So what do I need to do to start bringing this together? And I, and I hope that we'd find out what that might be. Just remember that verse. Honor the Lord with your possessions and give him the first fruits of all your increase. He doesn't say give the Lord your leftovers. Did you catch that? When I wrote that in my notes there, it didn't say, give God your leftovers. As soon as I wrote the word leftovers, do you know what came to my mind? Food. Food. How many of you this last week ate leftovers at least once? Okay. Look at you. Look at you. I've, I've eaten leftovers three or four times. That's all right. I like Carol's leftovers. Sometimes the longer it is, the better it gets. All right. 
Now that sounded horrible, didn't it? Oh man, <laughs> uh, who wants to go home with me today? <laughs> All right. But here's where I'm going with this. If you had, and, and don't go nuts on me, but if you had the President of the United States coming to dinner, would you give him leftovers? Really? Now some of you probably would, but that's not where I'm going. Would you give him leftovers? You wouldn't. If you had our governor over, would you really give him leftovers? If we had Billy Graham, so to speak, to your house, would you give him warmed up leftovers? Really? What would your house look like? Really? How would you treat him? Really? Now, whatever you might think of those humans and their sacrifice and their position, even if you don't like their personality, nobody is better than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we give him our leftovers. From time, talent, treasures, temple, tongue, the whole nine yards. He gets seconds, thirds, fourths. He deserves our all. The last one is simple, number five, and that is that we need to enjoy what we have. All of these work. In a ministry, when we do our finances for the church budget this next year, we need to do all of these. And I think we do. We keep good records. We spend, the, get the biggest bang for our buck. We save some back so that we have some left over for the next month to be able to buy things for the different ministries. At the same time, we give 10% or more to our missions out of our, right off the top. They get it first. They get it. If we don't get it, they get it. But we also want to enjoy what we have. I mean, I kind of like our building right here. I know a bunch of people like to get married on the beach, and that's all nice, and that's cool, but I like to get church sanctuaries beautiful. These chairs are nice. This pulpit's nice. I like our musical equipment we have. Our technology is great. I want to enjoy what we have. Yeah, can we have a little bit better here, a little bit better? Sure, we could always have more. I just got an email from a church that spent $13.8 million on one of their buildings. State-of-the-art for everything. I'm not condemning that, but at the same time, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, let's enjoy what we already have right here. Until God says we're going to take you to the next level. Because if we don't, then what's happening, we're always going to be chasing a popcorn palace out there. Young people on boards can vote you into debt often. Because they're in that got to have it now mentality. But they're also with the least commitment. So they'll vote you into debt and then they'll leave the church and leave the rest having to pay that debt back. You want to talk about government? Let's end with that. All right. Go back to this. Enjoy what we have. And that's the principle of contentment. Ecclesiastes 6.9 says, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. Basically, that means it's better to be satisfied with what you have rather than wanting more than what you have. Can I be funny with you for a moment? If all reality is true, listen to this. Isn't it not true that we have more stuff than we have time to even enjoy? Have you thought about that? Some person said that if you don't use something that's in your garage within a year, get rid of it. You don't have time to enjoy it. You don't need it. How many of us have gone places that after we bought it, we bring it home, we had it for a few hours, and we think to ourselves, why did I ever buy that? Has that ever happened to you? Why did I get that? <laughs> what happened to me? I got, why did I ever, raise your hand. Would you do that? My hand's up. Both hands up. We've all done that. You know why? Because we weren't content with what God has already provided for us. We thought a little bit more would give us a little bit more contentment. And often it just complicates our life. Often it does. As a good soldier, we get entangled with the affairs of this life. And that makes it very difficult. Look at Hebrews 13.5. It says, be content with such things as you have. Basically, that's bottom line. Contentment with godliness is great gain. Another verse says, Isaiah 55.2 says, why do you spend money for what does not satisfy? Because reality, after a while, it doesn't. Not, your car actually looked better on a slick brochure than it did up 
But after a while, that new car smell goes. That new TV that you got a few years ago, now you've got to get a plasma HD something, something. Now they've got new TVs that they just unloaded at the electronics show in Las Vegas. And these new TVs are already set that you can download into your TV right from the internet. So now you could have a 52-inch, you could have a 60-inch, you can have a 72-inch screen for your computer. Can you imagine taking that back and forth to the library? All right, but you know my point. They'll always have something new out there. We need to be content with what we have for that moment. So let me bring this whole message now to a close. Some of you are saying, okay, where do I go with this? For those of you that are listening today that don't know Christ as your Savior, all of us should humble ourselves for a moment and say that, yeah, we've blown it with our finances. No, we're not bad. We're not thieves. We didn't rob banks. We didn't, you know, steal a lot of people's purses. We didn't do some horrible things. But we know at the same time we are sinners because, for one thing, we didn't keep good records and our finances got away from us. Conflicts that husbands and wives have is when a husband keeps the wife in the dark about the finances. Or when a wife keeps the husband in dark about how she's spending some money. And what really is a catastrophic problem is when both of them are keeping each other in the dark about it. So you haven't kept good records. Can you humble yourself and say, that's me. I'm not done a bad job, but I'm sure not where I ought to be, where God wants me to be. And how about how you might be spending your money? You know that you bought things that, first of all, wasn't a basic need of your life. It wasn't something that perhaps would add value to other hurting people. It wasn't something that you could really use for the kingdom building. Now, it doesn't mean we all have to live with abacuses and no computers, but it does mean that we need to think twice about what we have. And then so we could say, Lord, I'm not really there. That's a good step. Step is I don't keep good records. and I'm humbling myself. I, I, don't, I don't spend my money. In fact, I've bought stuff that has hurt my body, stuff I smoke or drink or shove into my veins. Stuff that I've wrecked my mind with from pornography or videos or DVDs or movies that had a secular worldview that I didn't wash out or refocus. And I've used your money that I could have been given to a missionary or to help something here to add value to another person as a Christian to help them to grow. Lord, I've, I've fallen down on that. I haven't been saving my money. It's money in, money out. I hardly have anything to show just a little bit so I can pay my rent. But not enough to get a house. Or maybe pay someone else's rent who really needs it. I haven't been saving and all of a sudden when I hear people from Washington tell me that they'll take care of me, all of a sudden the government becomes my God. Dangerous. I'm broken, Lord. And I sure haven't given much to you. I've done some. I'm not all that bad. I'm not that stingy or greedy, but I'm sure not generous. And I sure hope this Sunday they don't make an appeal for somebody because I don't have enough money to pitch in this time. If they did, I, I don't think I'd give it to them. And then finally, I like some of the stuff that I got, but I'm not real content. Why do you think I, I cruise the malls? Why do you think I cruise the garage sales? Or I cruise the flea markets or cruise the swap meets? I'm just always looking for more, something else. Now, I'm not saying all that stuff is wrong. You're going to see me at garage sales, malls, flea markets, all that. But it's when we are driven to do that because we have an unmet need. So we're humbling ourselves. Now listen where I'm going with this. We have to admit we've got a problem. Now once we do that, 
In the natural world, we would say, I need to have a counselor. So what we'll do is we'll go find a good financial counselor. Now, when we do, we generally find a good one. So we kind of do a little bit of homework. And this guy got his certification or whatever. He's okay. So what we do now is we pour out all of our problems to him financially. And he now tells us what to do. Well, while we do that in that natural world, what God is saying, wait a second, I own the cattle on a thousand hills, everything is mine, I love you, I have a plan and a purpose for your life, and all I'm asking for you is that you would be broken and you would say that you are so messed up financially, and you're now going to give your whole life back up to me. You trust me. Now what you do then is you're saying, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need a savior, I am drowning in debt and financial problems. And I can't do it myself, and so I'm not going to get all my finances together to get you to like me more. I'm coming to you because you like me already, and I'm messed up, and I want you to help put me back together again. So I'm a sinner. My good works won't get me into your family. My giving won't get me into your family. I need you to accept me just the way I am. Will you forgive me of all my sin? Now, we can compartmentalize it on finances, but it's really our whole life. Every sin, big sin, little sin, past sin, future sin. Lord, you are the great forgiver. I'm going only to you. I am hopelessly, helplessly lost. I need you. Now when you do that, Jesus says, as long as you're believing that I'm I'm Jesus Christ, the Lord, who died and rose again, you're counting on me to save you and to put you into my forever family. You're forgiven. How easy is that? Boom, it's over. Now once you've done that, and I'm going to speak to another crowd here, that doesn't mean you now stop and take your money and do whatever you want with it. Now what you're doing is saying, Lord, I need... I need a CFO. I need someone who's going to take care of my finances. And so now what you're saying is, all right, Lord, I'm I'm giving you all my bills. I'm giving you all my my spending, buying, saving, giving, and rotten attitude that what I have isn't enough. I'm putting it all in one pile, and I'm giving it to you. Now, Lord, will you take authority over my life as your child? I want you now to direct me according to the biblical principles, to the Spirit of God, to you living inside of me, and you're going to live this life out to do right, Lord, from this day. And Lord, I know that it's going to take me a while to get out of debt. It's going to take me a while to get this thing together. But by your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your power, and for your glory, we're going to do this, Lord. I'm surrendering to you. Now, give God the time of consistent daily sacrifice doing it His way. And you'll be amazed how quickly you'll get back on solid ground again. I promise you, His Word will never return unto Him void and it'll accomplish what He wants it to in your life. Well, let's go to the Lord now in prayer. And let's go to a God who's smiling because we want to do this. He loves you. He's not a mean God. He loves you right now. Simply say this, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I've done things wrong, but the best to know how I'm going to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior by faith. Now, if you're doing that, going to heaven is not by good deeds. It's simply by faith. Is there anyone in here that would say, I'm trusting Christ to forgive me of my sin, and I'd like you to pray for me, Pastor? Would you slip up your hand right now? All right, Christians, I appeal to to you. How many of you would like to go to the Lord and say, Lord, 
I'm going to you now and I want to thank you for bringing this message to me and to my husband, to my wife, to my family. As a young person, Lord, I want to thank you because I don't want to get into the same jam. I want to be able to pay for my car when I'm able to drive. I want to be able to have money for a house when I need. I want to be able to pay for most of my education by time. I don't want my mom and dad to have to carry me. I want to learn these principles now and practice these biblical principles so that later on I can enjoy that freedom that you want me to have. How many of you are going to go to the Lord now and say, I'm going to take these five biblical principles, I'm going to put them out there, and I'm going to start working on them. And pastor, would you pray for me? Would you slip up your hand? Amen and amen. For some of you, put a star by the ones. Maybe you've got some of them already together. You're doing real good. Great. Celebrate that. Man, get excited. Praise God. But if there's a couple you need to work on, don't throw it away. Put a star by that and say, I'm going to work on that one, and I'm going to ask the Lord to help me. And Lord, I can't do it, so you're going to have to do it for me. But I'm coming to you for that help. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for today, and thank you for our young people, and I thank you for the Word, and I thank you that you're not only a forgiving God, but you're a forgetting God. I also thank you that you're a God that's going to put us on the right track again to do what you want us to do. And so, Lord, help these dear family members financially to get on solid ground. And Father, bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.